Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome in, everybody, to episode 161 of the podcast of the Sweeping America, the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. So the piece of news that we have been waiting for has officially dropped. Kerry Blackshear, the graduate transfer from Virginia Tech University, the last big puzzle piece that we know of, that we think of, with the 2019-2020 college basketball season, he has committed. I have been waiting for this news to break. It's about 9.45 Eastern time on Wednesday night as I record. Been waiting all day for this news to pop. Kerry Blackshear headed to Florida. I am going to spend most of the show talking about that. Uh, later in the show, really fun interview. As I told you, Kevin Keats, NC State basketball coach, joins me. He talks about this past season. He talks about getting spur- getting snubbed from the, the NCAA tournament. I think they got screwed. Uh, we talk about next season. We talk about building the program. We talk about how your boy Torres is now his new best friend. We, we hit it off really well. Uh, if you're an NC State fan listening for Kevin Keats, he will join me on the back end of the show also, I will conclude with some user-submitted questions. I actually, believe it or not, got a couple questions on Romeo Langford, his draft stock. I've been critical of him, so I'm going to address that on the back end. Uh, things that I won't be talking about today. I'd love to talk about UConn in the Big East as they get set to officially announce that on Thursday. Unfortunately, I'm recording here Wednesday night. So if you want UConn basketball talk as they get set to be reintroduced to the Big East on Thursday... Go back to listen to go back and listen to the earlier week's episode, episode 160, where I discuss UConn in the Big East. I will also obviously discuss it after the press conference on the next episode that'll drop on Monday. And then, oh by the way, uh, I was going to talk about this Calipari versus Coach K Twitter beef. I don't feel like it's the time or the place. I don't think anybody's into it right now, especially with the news of Kerry Blackshear. But as I said, great show. We're going to talk Kerry Blackshear what it means for Florida, what it means for Kentucky, what it means for Tennessee, what it means for Arkansas, what it means for college basketball. We will then bring on Kevin Keats, and I will answer some questions at the end. Before we get started, I'm going to tell you what I always do. Please make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do that on iTunes. Do it on Podcast Addict. If you have an Android, hit up Podcast Addict. You can do it on Podbean. Do it on TuneIn Radio. You can do it anywhere you listen to podcasts except Spotify. Sorry, my bad. I have nothing to do with that. But please make sure you're downloading and subscribing the show. Also, rate and review. 
I don't even care how much you like this show. Just give me a quick five stars. It really does help. If you want to leave a nice note, we got a really nice review actually most recently from uh, an Arizona fan. I want to read this one to you because I could use more of this positivity in my life. Arizona fan says, intelligent and engaging, five stars, thoughtful content that appeals to college basketball fans with varied backgrounds and team allegiances. I'm a mid-40-year-old basketball fan uh, at Arizona, but have been a diehard Arizona fan for over 30 years. I appreciate Aaron's perspective and his insight into other programs in the sport in general. So shout out to the Arizona fan who listens to this show. As I told you, we are building a fan base. I got fans from all over the country that listen to this show. A lot of Kentucky fans, a lot of Tennessee fans, Arizona, Nevada. I mean, you name the fan base, UConn, we got them all listening. So please make sure to not only subscribe, but rate and review the show. Give me a quick five stars. It really does help. Also, the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast Instagram page, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram. If you follow that page, as soon as news breaks, that's where I go to kind of share my opinion, share my insight. So if if you follow that page, you already know what my thoughts are on Kerry Blackshire. I'm going to get into them more here, but the point is you need to be following there because as late breaking news comes in, I am going there first, doing the quick Instagram stories, and then getting out the podcast. Finally, if you have any questions, and I do, as I said, have a couple of them, mostly related to Romeo Langford, which I was surprised by. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. You want to send in questions, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. All right, so let's get into today's show. The big news, I've teased it, I've talked about it. By the way, I've talked about it for about eight weeks now. Carrie Blackshear, the graduate transfer from Virginia Tech, officially announced on Wednesday night where he is going to play his final year of college basketball. It will be at the University of Florida. And if you've listened to this show, you shouldn't be surprised. And I'll say this. There's a lot of great people that cover college basketball. There's a lot of great people that cover recruiting and grad transfers and this, that, the other thing. There's been a lot of leaks that this school's the favorite and that that school's the favorite. And and what did I tell you guys from the beginning? And you guys know, listen, I'm not afraid to pat myself on my chest, pat myself on my back when I'm right. And like this one, I kind of nailed. I said from the beginning, I said, look, it's going to be drawn out. This is a kid who really, truly, fully invested himself in the NBA draft process, wanted to go pro, and once he decided to come back to college, all his options were open, and not only were all his options open, this is a kid that's not used to being heavily recruited. This wasn't a one and done. This wasn't a McDonald's All-American. This wasn't the equivalent of Jordan Brown at Nevada transferring after being a high-profile recruiter, Javon Quinterly or Quentin Grimes. This is a kid who was very not highly rated coming out of high school. And so Virginia Tech was his best offer. He goes there. He balls out. He exceeds expectations. Another Buzz Williams success story. And Buzz Williams has had a ton of these guys over the years at Marquette with Jimmy Butler and Jay Crowder and all these guys at Marquette. Then he goes to Virginia Tech and he does the same. He's going to do the same at Texas A&M. But I bring this up because Kerry Blackshear, as this stuff came to him, as this stuff came to him, I think he had trouble processing it. And, and so the reason that I haven't spent, you know, you, talk, you, you listen to a lot of local radio shows, a lot of basketball podcasts, whatever. Every little piece of news, every piece of nuggets, it, everyone's talking to like, oh, I think this team's the leader. I think that team's the leader. And I'm not criticizing, again, anybody who covers the sport or anybody who does local radio, does five days a week on radio. I only have to do this podcast twice a week. 
But again, not criticizing them. But the reason that I didn't talk a ton of Kerry Blackshear over the last couple weeks is because there wasn't really any new news. And from the beginning, I was told that it was going to be a drawn-out process. I was told that this was a kid that really was weighing all of his options. And I was told over the last week that he was really struggling with his options. And again, it goes back to the fact that this kid wasn't highly rated coming out of high school. This is a kid that didn't have all the bells and whistles dropped on him when he visited campuses out of high school. And so to go from that to being one of the most in-demand recruits going into next season, I think you can make the case he was as in-demand as James Wiseman and Anthony Edwards and Scotty Lewis and all the big names in college basketball next year. It was a lot for him to process. And so when he would go to a school, the reports coming out of those schools was, they're now the favorite. He goes to Arkansas. They're the favorite. He goes to Kentucky. They're the favorite. He goes to Tennessee. They're the favorite. And I think in his head at that moment, they really were the favorite. I was on the phone with somebody earlier on Wednesday, and what we equated it to was, remember when you're like 16, you get your first girlfriend or your first boyfriend, and you fall head over heels, and you think, oh my God, I'm going to marry this person? Like that was Carrie Blackshear on every one of these official visits. Oh my God, Arkansas is rolling out the red carpet for me. I could, I could totally see myself here. I could totally see myself spending the rest of this life, the rest of my life with this girl, with this guy. Carrie Blackshear, Tennessee, I could totally see myself being the guy here. Kentucky, Tennessee, Florida. I could see it. I'm Carrie Blackshear. I can visualize myself being here because again, when you've never had something and everything is at your fingertips, everything looks so good. And so every one of these schools look good. And so even as Florida uh, kind of fell out of the conversation as being a favorite, I never bought that they weren't a favorite because I don't think there ever was a favorite. And so that's why if you listen to this show, I really haven't talked a ton of Kerry Blackshear. Not really since he basically withdrew from the draft. Yeah, I talked a little bit after the Arkansas visit. But like I said, after the Arkansas visit, it was Arkansas is now the favorite. They got a real shot at this kid. And it was like, but I started hearing that after every visit. And I said, I think this kid is just going to have a real hard time deciding. And that's exactly how it happened. I tweeted this out at Aaron underscore Torres on Tuesday night. I had three or four people tell me this kid is genuinely torn. He genuinely doesn't know what he wants to do. And he genuinely is going to have a tough time making a decision. And so I, I think, you know, from what I've seen on social media, I don't even know if Kerry Blackshear is on Twitter, but I, I think most fan bases have been very respectful of the kid. I think most fan bases understand. You know, I think most fan bases had kind of gotten to the point where they thought, okay, we might not get this kid. And so because of it, they prepared themselves for the worst on third, on Wednesday, and then the news came that Florida was the pick. So again, if you've been following this, there really hasn't been anything to follow. Every time he takes a visit, that team is now the favorite. And so I think it took him a few days to kind of step back, look at the entire picture, look at the entire process. By the way, look at what he wanted out of a college. This is something that I've stressed from the beginning. Not just on this show, when I hosted Kentucky Sports Radio a few weeks ago, people were asking me, is he going to pick Kentucky? Well, he's got to decide what he thinks is the best path for him. And I know I've said it a million times, but he's a graduate transfer. He isn't a freshman. If things don't go well next year, he doesn't get a second, third, fourth chance. He's not E.J. Montgomery where if his draft stock isn't high, he gets to do it all again next year. And so he had to decide, where is the best place for me to go to maximize my one season? By the way, there were no wrong answers. Go to Florida, 
where you're the missing piece to what I think is now a team that can legitimately compete for a Final Four. We'll get into Florida in a minute. Go to Tennessee, where you replace Grant Williams. All of a sudden, I personally would have had Tennessee as a top 15 team had Kerry Blackshear selected Tennessee. You go to Texas A&M, you're with your old coach, you're part of a rebuilding project. You go to Virginia Tech, uh, you're a campus-wide hero because you kind of are the bridge between the old coaching staff and the new coaching staff. I never really thought Virginia Tech was a factor, but whatever. Arkansas, it's the same deal. You're the first big recruit that Eric Musselman got, and you're the star. And so, finally, there was Kentucky, which is, I don't know how much you're going to play, and John Calipari gave the same pitch that he gave to everybody. I don't know how much you're going to play. I don't know if the stage is for you, but this is what we do. This is who you're going to compete with. But this is the biggest stage in college basketball. And if you come here and ball out, there's there's nowhere you can go where you're going to be seen by more NBA scouts, more fans, more casual fans, whatever, than the University of Kentucky. And so what it really just came down to was what was the best fit for Kerry Blackshear. And what did Kerry Blackshear think was the best fit for Kerry Blackshear? And so he decided on Florida, and so let's get into that decision. I'm going to talk about his decision to go to Florida, what it means for Florida, what it means for Kentucky, what it means for Tennessee, Arkansas, etc. And let's start with Florida. Because look, this is huge. And I didn't know there were like Mike White haters on Twitter. Like I didn't think Mike White was like controversial enough to have haters. A lot of people didn't have nice things to say about Mike White when this decision was made. Oh, he plays his guards too much and his guards shoot too much and his big guys don't touch the ball. Like, yeah, but he also hasn't had a guy like Kerry Blackshear. I mean, no disrespect to Keith Stone and like, you know, whoever the guys that he's had there, he hasn't had a Kerry Blackshear when he's at Florida. And so when I look at the situation, I think like a lot of other people, I thought Florida was going to be really interesting almost like the Portland Trailblazers of college basketball, like a bunch of guards, ball movement, three-point shooting, spacing, but I didn't know if they had the size down low. I didn't know if they had the skill down low. I didn't know if they had the production down low, but now they do, man. And what Kerry Blackshear ultimately chose was, I am that missing puzzle piece. I am the guy that takes this team from a fringe top 20 team, which I think I had them at 18 or 19 after the NBA draft deadline, if I did my, my top 25 today, I would have Florida in the top 10. I think I had Texas Tech at number 8, LSU at number 9. I would put Florida between the two of them, between 8 and 9. I believe in this team that much. And if you don't know Florida's roster, what you need to know is this. is exactly what I said. They got a bunch of big-time guards on that roster, some returning, some new guys. So they have Andrew Nemhard, who was all-SEC freshman last year. One of the better point, him and Ashton Hagens were the two best freshman point guards in this conference. They got Scotty Lewis, who's a McDonald's All-American. They got Noah Locke, who's a three-point shooter. Trey Mann, another McDonald's All-American. So I'm bouncing between the sophomore class and the freshman class. But the one thing they didn't have was anybody down low. They didn't have anybody down low to dump the ball to. They didn't have anybody down, the, down low to get rebounds, to get boards. And that's why where Kerry Blackshear comes in. And you add in the fact that this campus is like, what, an hour from where he grew up with the fact that they need a guy just like him and that there's nobody in, in front of him. At Kentucky, listen, I'm not saying it was right or wrong. I'm just telling you as a fact. He would have competed with EJ Montgomery and Nick Richards and Nate Sestina for playing time. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm not saying he's not competitive because he chose not to go to Kentucky. 
I'm just telling you, there is nobody at Florida. And so he steps in. He is that missing piece. Now, look, they don't have a ton of size. They don't have a ton of depth. But he is that missing puzzle piece that I do think now Florida is a potential top 10 team in the preseason. I would still have them at number two behind Kentucky in the SEC. But they're really good. They're going to be really interesting. This is huge for Florida. Let's look at some of the other teams that did not get Kerry Blackshear. So, there's Kentucky. And I've spent a lot of time talking about Kentucky already. Listen, I'm going to say something controversial. And you guys are going to laugh at me. And, oh, you're pro- I'll probably get the, you're a Kentucky homer. No, I'm not. I'm a UConn homer. Watch a, watch a UConn basketball game with me. I'm a UConn homer, okay? But last year, when Reed Travis was going through the recruiting process and P.J. Washington declared for the NBA draft, people asked me. They said, whoa, whoa, whoa. If I could only have one, who would, I t- who would you take? I said, I'd take P.J. Washington. I think P.J. Washington is due for a breakout. I think he knows the system. I think he knows what it's like to play in a place where there are other guys that have to kind of contribute and you're not the only star and there's other people involved and all that stuff. I said, I'd rather have sophomore P.J. Washington than fifth-year senior Reed Travis. A lot of people laughed at me. You can go look at the tweet. You can go look at the tweet. Rob Douster, my boy, he's been on this show more than anybody. Oh, you're crazy, Torres. His exact quote, I believe, was, Torres, I know you live in California, but you got to lay off the crazy stuff, like as if I was taking recreational drugs because I thought P.J. Washington would be better than Reed Travis. Everybody said that. And of course, your boy Nostra Torres is right. I nailed that one. I mean, what else is new? Let's be honest. I'm not very wrong with this stuff. But why do I bring that up? It's because you're going to laugh at me for saying this, but if I'm Kentucky and I was told six weeks ago, I have a choice between sophomore E.J. Montgomery or senior Kerry Blackshear, I honestly would take E.J. Montgomery. And you can laugh and you can make fun of me. Whatever. Maybe I'll be wrong on this one. I wasn't wrong on P.J. Washington, but maybe I'll be wrong on this one. But you look at Kentucky. First of all, E.J. Montgomery knows all these guys. I think he's a little bit more of a versatile puzzle piece. Play him in a big lineup at the five with Khalil Whitney at the four. Could play him in a small lineup at the four with Nick Richards at the five. Whatever you want to do, E.J. Montgomery is versatile. I think he's going to come in with a chip on his shoulder. I think he's going to come in focused after going through the NBA draft process. And if you told me you could only have one, I honestly would take E.J. Montgomery. And so when you look at Kerry Blackshear, Kerry Blackshear was a luxury, not a necessity. That's a, Kentucky's the only school you can say that. At, at Florida, Kerry Blackshear was a necessity. At Tennessee, Kerry Blackshear was a necessity. At Arkansas, Kerry Blackshear was a necessity. At Kentucky? At Kentucky? He was the equivalent of, you're a rich guy with a beach house. And you got a beautiful wife, and your kids are smart, and they're doing great in school, and you got a great job, and you're living by the beach, and you want to go get a yacht. You don't really need the yacht, but the yacht's nice. But if you don't get the yacht, still got a beautiful wife, still got a beautiful house, still got a great job, still got great kids. That was what Kerry Blackshear was to Kentucky. They didn't need them. It would have been nice to have them. But I think now, if anything, I'm not saying John Calipari's doing backflips because they didn't get them, but now everybody knows their roles. E.J. Montgomery and Nick Richards don't come in saying, man, I thought I was coming back to school and I was going to have a big role and now I got to compete with this guy. No, now everybody knows. Now everybody knows what it's about. They know what their role is. They know how they fit in and you can move on. I will say this, something kind of that I thought was pretty interesting with Kentucky I was thinking about this. You know, Calipari the last couple of years has taken some heat that, oh, he's lost his recruiting edge. 
because obviously, look, let's be honest. Coach K has, the last couple years, gotten the guys that he's wanted. He's gone head-to-head with Calipari on a lot of guys. Coach K has gotten the advantage. I think this year the pendulum swung back in Calipari's favor. First of all, Calipari's got the number two ranked recruiting class in the country. And the only reason they're number two and not number one is because of the fact that Memphis went on this wild run at the end. They got, in addition to James Wiseman, they got Precious Achua. They got Lester Quinones. They got uh, Boogie Ellis. But why do I bring this up? It's because... Kentucky, I think, reasserted themselves in recruiting. I tweeted this out, and some people got mad at me because that's how Twitter is. People get mad. But think about all the guys. that Kentucky has a number two class in the country. Tyrese Maxey, Khalil Whitney, Dante Allen, Keon Brooks. And think about all the guys they finished number two on. They finished number two on James Wiseman. If Memphis didn't hire James Wiseman's high school coach, James Wiseman is at Kentucky. I think they finished number two on Kerry Blackshear. I don't know if we'll ever know, but I think they finished number two. We found out pretty early on Wednesday night that Kerry Blackshear had eliminated Tennessee. I think he eliminated Arkansas, Texas A&M a little while ago. I think Kentucky finished number two to Kerry Blackshear. How about Jaden McDaniels? Remember him? Washington, top 10 recruit, finished number two. Kentucky finished number two. Scotty Lewis, I just mentioned at Florida. Kentucky finished number two. Anthony Edwards Number two player in the country who went to Georgia, I think Kentucky finished two. Maybe either second or third. Maybe Florida State was the second team. I don't know. But I bring all this up to say Kentucky's going to have a consensus top three recruiting class in the country next year. And think about all the guys they finished number two on. James Wiseman, Kerry Blackshear, Scotty Lewis, Jaden McDaniels, I think Anthony Edwards. That's kind of an incredible run, and they still got three McDonald's All-Americans or two McDonald's All-Americans or whatever it was. The point I'm trying to make, I think Calipari reasserted himself, and I think as you go into the summer, I think they're in good shape for a lot of the best 2020 players. Now look, Cade Cunningham is probably the number two prospect in America. We saw that his brother was hired as an assistant at Oklahoma State. That's obviously going to be a factor, but all the big names, BJ Boston from the Atlanta area, Sharif Cooper from the Atlanta area, and Folly Dante, who I'm going to get into in a minute, Deshaun Nix, all these guys all have Kentucky. So I think it, it was a positive recruiting cycle for Kentucky. They finished with the number two class in the country. But think about number two, how close they were to having like a historic recruiting class. If Penny Hardaway isn't hired at Memphis, they get James Wiseman. They almost, they were this close to Jaden McDaniels. They were this close to Scotty Lewis. Anthony Edwards, they were pretty close on. Unbelievable to me. All right, and follow Dante really quick. I want to touch on that. Kind of a wild story. He's a junior. There's been talk that he could consider reclassifying. And then the news breaks that he's going to visit Kentucky this week. And all this, oh, he's visiting Kentucky. What does it mean? Is he going to reclassify? It's going on at the same time as the Kerry Blackshirt. So you're going to hear a lot of different things. I saw that there was a report that he is not planning on reclassifying. And I will tell you this. You're going to hear reports that, you know, he's he's slow playing it or he's not really interested or, or, you know, he may come back and reclassify. I don't buy it, okay? I'm just going to tell you right now that this is my understanding of the Infali Dante recruitment. I saw him up at the Nike Hoop Summit, talked to some people in the know. I've never believed that he was going to reclassify. Now, things can change. Don't get me wrong. But I think, first of all, I think we do this thing of like, we just assume that like 
if there's talk that a kid's going to reclassify, like they're just going to reclassify. It's like, do you know how hard it is to recl- You have to make up a year's worth of high school in a summer. That's really hard. That's really hard to do. And you factor in the fact that Infali Dante is new to basketball. He comes from a foreign country. I believe he's from Mali, where the 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 language is is French, not English. Like this guy's got a lot of developing to do as a person, as a kid, as a basketball player, as a student. I think it's a lot to ask of him to make up a year's worth of high school credits in one in one summer. Now, can he do it? Maybe he can. But I saw this report that first that he was visiting and doesn't mean he's reclassifying. Then I saw that he's not reclassifying. But then I saw some other media members say, I don't know. He might be. I'm telling you this. Nostra Torres, I'm putting on my crystal ball hat. Yes, I have a crystal ball hat. I don't think he's reclassifying. I think he'll come to college in the class of 2020. I've never bought that he was going to reclassify. And even if he does, I'll tell you this, Kentucky fans, for those Kentucky fans that are listening, kids, kids got a lot of work to do. Great talent, incredible player, but make no mistake, he is a young player, new to basketball. I would equate him to what Nick Richards was like his freshman year. So don't jump over the moon if you think he's going to reclassify or if you feel like you need him to reclassify. I don't know how much impact he can make at the college level. Want to wrap up on Kerry Blackshear? A couple quick thoughts. I saw some buzz. I want to talk Tennessee. I saw some buzz that Rick Barnes was like somehow a recruiting loser in all this. That he couldn't land Kerry Blackshear and what does it mean and this is a bad sign for Tennessee basketball. Relax. As Aaron Rodgers once said, R-E-L-A-X, relax. Because this is what I'll tell you about Rick Barnes. I actually think it's a testament that they got into the final four or five. That they got an official visit. Because think about the timeline with Kerry Blackshear, right? Puts his name in the transfer portal before he even enters the NBA draft. Puts his name in the portal. The three teams that immediately come to mind are Florida, Kentucky, and Texas A&M. Then he puts his name in the draft, and then he pulls his name out of the draft. And at that point, everybody in America wants him, and everybody in America is reaching out. Michigan State, number one team in the country, is reaching out, saying, come be our replacement for Nick Ward. Gonzaga is reaching out. Everybody is reaching out. And Tennessee's the school, one of the five schools, one of the four schools, actually, that got a visit from Kerry Blackshear. So, like, yeah, they didn't get him, but only one team was going to get Kerry Blackshear. And so I don't think Tennessee fans should be freaking out, like, oh, what does this say about Rick Barnes? I think it says they were behind the eight ball from the beginning. They did their absolute best. And I think it's a positive sign that, that Kerry Blackshear even thought of Tennessee as a consideration for his final year in college basketball. Same, by the way, with Arkansas. I don't get the sense that Arkansas fans are as frustrated. I think they like what Eric Musselman has done in his few short months at Arkansas. But I think it's a positive sign for Arkansas that the number one grad transfer on the market decided that he wanted to take a chance and potentially visit Arkansas. All right, so that's my kind of Kerry Blackshear stuff, my spiel. I'm going to finish up right there. We're going to get to Kevin Keats in a minute. As I said, I'll talk more UConn on Monday's show as the introductory press conference for the Big East is tomorrow on Thursday. I will talk maybe Calipari versus Coach K down the road. Didn't feel like tonight was the night. Just feels like there's a time and a place and that's not it. Uh, We are going to get to Kevin Keats in a minute. Before we do, uh, make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Do it on iTunes. Do it on Podcast Addict. Do it on Podbean. Tune in radio. Make sure to rate and review. Five stars are welcomed. 
And remember, I'm going to answer some questions on the back end. So stick around if you want to send questions. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. It is now time to get to Coach Kevin Keats from NC State. If you follow me on Twitter, you know I've actually been a Keats believer. Super excited to have him on the show, and I think you guys are going to enjoy the interview. All right, and joining me on the phone now, the head coach of the NC State Wolfpack. Long time wanted this guy on the show. Very excited to have him. Kevin Keats is on the phone. Coach Keats, how are you doing today? Hey, man, I'm on the phone, and I'm, I'm excited to, to be able to have a chance to talk to you because uh, you were one of the guys who uh, recognized that we had a good squad last year, and you talked us up, so I thank you for having me on. Wow, okay. So, so we're, you know, I live out here on the West Coast, so you're telling me that word traveled all the way back to Raleigh that in November and December, when everybody's focused on all these other schools, I was the guy saying, hey, you got to watch those NC State Wolfpack. That Kevin Keats guy is doing something special down there. So the word got back to you is what you're telling me. Well, you got to give yourself credit, man. You're, this is not a, you're not a West Coast show, man. You're national. <laughs> and uh, uh, we, I'm telling you, we, I, I did. Man, the word got to me. And um, you said some pretty good things about our program. And the things you said about it was very accurate. And um, I, I really appreciate that. I just wish more people would have listened to you at the end. Yeah, well, well, listen, we're going to get into that, and I have a bone to pick. I still – listen, I, I, you guys have moved on. You're on to your summer. You're on to the 2019-2020 season. Uh, I, I still have a bone to pick with the committee. We'll get into it in a minute. But I will ask you, kind of entering year three, I mean, I do feel like I'm, I'm screaming into the wilderness here about what you guys have accomplished, and I, I know – uh, you know, you're at a different phase now than you were last year or the year before, but but how do you feel about this thing? I mean, you've now been there for 24 full months. I mean, you've gotten a great feel for the community, for the program, uh, and obviously a lot of excitement going into year three, but how do you feel about the situation where the program is right now? Well, I'm excited about year three, um, as I was year two, but you know, when I took over the program, uh, one thing that I was, um, I think every coach will tell you, if you can win early, that's great. Uh, we've been fortunate to win, you know, in year one and two, uh, 45 wins in two years and having a chance to play against some great, um, you know, schools and programs and beating six top 25 teams means a lot. But year three, we want to keep advancing the program. Um, for the first time, I've got you know, the majority of my team back, um, you look back at last year, we only had three, three guys that played in the game that returned, and now I've got at least six or seven guys who have, um, you know, had some playing experience and playing together, so I'm excited about it. Um, you know, we got another little boost when Markel Johnson decided to come back to school. Um, you know, you got a senior point guard, and, you know, so the, the guy that we really uh, are just going to miss that we've got to do a great job of trying to figure out how we replace is, um, and Dorn, I thought he did a lot for our team. When you look at him, he's our leading scorer and leading rebounder. Um, and we've got to do it with some guys that I brought in that I think can do it by committee. But the excitement in Raleigh is um, is really growing. Um, I, I like the way our program is going. We're, we're getting the program where we want it as far as the type of recruits that we want to get into the program. So my excitement level is very high for year three. Well, so let me ask you this, because obviously, you know, you have gained this reputation because of your time at Hargrave, and then, of course, uh, prior to your stop at NC State with Wilmington, is you're a guy 
that can take a new roster, can flip a roster, and have immediate success. How nice is it for a guy who who really, you know, I don't want to say every season, but for a big chunk of your career, it's been start over. Obviously, Hargrave being a one-year stop for a lot of guys, you had to do it over and over and over again. How nice is it to actually have back, as you said, kind of the core, the, the you know, most everybody from last year's team? Well, it's great, and, and I've said this before. If anybody was used to having a, a new roster, it's me because yeah. I spent those 12 years at Hargrave Military. But, it, you know, and it's uh, it's one of those things, man, where, you know, when you look around college basketball today, uh, we've got the guys who will enter the NBA in early entrance, and, and then we have the portal. And so I think not only me, I think every coach um, um, in today's time is going to have to get used to a lot of roster um, turn around and shifts and uh, different things because you you might not know who's on your team until school starts in August and mm-hmm. uh, that's the same thing that's happened you know in the last couple of years for me we're just fortunate to have a few more guys back than we have in the past. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you about that because I had probably about a year ago now I had Chris Beard on this show Texas Tech. And, uh, you know, for people who don't know his background, he spent a lot of time in junior colleges and minor league basketball. And, and one thing that I spoke to him about was I think the reason that a guy like him has success, besides the fact that he's an incredible X's and O's coach and he does all these great things behind the scenes, is the fact that his background is so unique, that he didn't come up as an assistant at a blue blood program or whatever, but that he is used to, he lives in a world where every year you're constantly turning over your roster. Do you think that has kind of helped you, that kind of your kind of unique background has sort of helped in this kind of modern era of college hoops? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't want to lose the fact that we're all a coaches because um, we've, Everybody that's a coach at, at any level has done a great job and worked their way to become the head coach of that program. But, you know, the way things are going, you also have to be a general manager also, mm-hmm. uh, being able to shift different things. And, you know, uh, one day you may have, you know, a great player on your roster. The next day you may be in the transfer portal. So I think uh, my, for, for example, with me, my experience of, uh, you know, being able to one year be a, a JUCO coach as assistant and, been assistant at Hargrave and then obviously going on to be the head coach and assistant at a high major level, then a head coach at a mid-major level. I think all of those um, things and those factor into being able to help you be able to put together a roster with all the, you know, the turnover that may happen in a year's time. Very good. All right, so I do have to ask about last season, and and I want to ask about it in a different way. We could talk about disappointment, all that stuff, but, you know, Obviously, I, I jumped aboard the, the Wolfpack bandwagon early, watched you guys have a ton of success, obviously beating Auburn when I believe they were ranked in the top 10, beating Penn State, beating Vanderbilt, uh, Wisconsin, I'll say it so you don't have to, there were some questionable calls down the stretch, I'm not saying they didn't deserve to win, great, well-coached team, there were some questionable calls. Here's my question, um, how frustrating when you put together a schedule like that and then you go 9-9 nine and nine in the ACC, and I know you've moved past it, but for people who maybe haven't heard you talk about this, um, how frustrating is it? Because I feel like we live in this era where – you know, you try. You, you got to obviously win some games early. You got to build a team's confidence. But I looked at your schedule all year, and I said, "What am I missing? Why? Why is this considered a program that didn't challenge themselves in the out of conference?" So I would just ask you again. I know you've moved on. I know you're ready to talk about 2019, 2020. But just the way things ended with, with I think what what was a pretty successful year in a tough ACC conference. 
Well, I, I look at it a couple of different ways. Um, you know, um, it's no perfect science to, to scheduling non-conference anymore. Um, you know, when we put our non-conference schedule together, we wanted to have, um, you know, a great non-conference schedule. We wanted to try to have a great balance. Um, you know, we talked about playing a couple teams neutral court, which we did, and um, Vanderbilt and Penn State. Penn State ended up being a quad one win. Yep. Um, when you talk about Auburn, uh, I do not think that the committee uh, gave us a lot of credit for beating Auburn um, because um, as Auburn went on to win the H- I mean, SEC um, tournament championship by Saturday, um, I-, I think honestly that the brackets were probably already made. Jeez. So I don't think we had a chance to um, you know impress those guys with that win. And then obviously, um, you know, playing the, at Wisconsin, which was always a tough environment, we came up a little bit short. That being said, um, I, I've looked back and I've, I've looked at everything. Um, you know, we're, we're going at 20 games in the ACC, as everybody knows. It's um, arguably the number one conference in the country. Uh, I think what happened to our league last year, when you look at it, we've got 15 teams in our league and only seven made it. Um, us and Clemson um, probably should have gotten in. Um, you know, as being the eighth and not team. But the league was unusual last year because we had three teams that ended up being number one, uh, number one seeds overall, Virginia, Carolina, and Duke. Mm-hmm. And what I, my argument is now that um, instead of, you know, getting the win against Penn State was great, but that was the, you know, in the net, it was 49. Uh, in our league, we played five teams, those five teams, I mean, those three teams five times, and they were top ten opponents. They were, in my opinion, they should be looked at as super quads. Um, <laughs> I like that. Because all schedules, are not, yeah, all, all schedules are not created equal. And so what happened with us is in our league, um, those five teams were, those three teams were so good that nobody could beat them. Uh, the only team that could beat them was they beat themselves. Sure. And and so I think because they were so great in an unusual year where you get three number ones out of one conference, it kind of canceled out the rest of our teams. The only team that got in uh, that was very similar to us in our league, if you go back and look at it, was Syracuse. And Syracuse, um, they had the good win at Duke, and I think that's what put them in the tournament. That's really interesting. And by the way, uh, obviously there's no way that you could have known this, but Florida State and Virginia Tech, who struggled against those same top three teams, both made the Sweet 16. And so it speaks to how good the conference was. So first of all, I like that concept of a super quad. And I I think it takes me into what I wanted to ask you, and I think you're a unique person to ask this. And, And I've had other coaches on, and I've talked to other coaches about this. I remember Eric Musselman, when he was at Nevada, I was talking to him about this, is do you think that we are in college basketball, right? Everybody wants to make the tournament. There's whatever. There are 36 at-large bids. Are we too beholden to computers? Because I sit there and I look at it like this is, you know, you can give me whatever net one, you know, quad one, quad two, net this. uh, And I just look at it like this team went nine and nine in the ACC. As you said, a bunch of losses to some really good teams. And it was very clear that if you just looked at NC State's schedule, the intent to to challenge yourself in the out-of-conference with a Penn State, with an Auburn, with a Vanderbilt, you're scheduling them thinking they're going to have Darius Garland. Do you think that we're too beholden to computers? Because I personally think we are. I think that you know we're no longer just looking at a team on paper and saying – 
they're not very good right now, or they have a below 500. You know, it's all about, well, they have this many this and that many that. And to me, like, as a fan of college basketball that just wants the 68 best teams on that first weekend of the NCAA tournament, are we too beholden to these computers? Well, if you look at us, let's, let's use us for example. If let's say we so we were nine and nine, and then we uh, we win the game, uh, the first game we play in the conference tournament against Clemson, and a lot of people said, you know, the winner of that game has a chance to be to get in, especially uh, being us because we'd won, uh, we'd beat Clemson before. Uh, that being said, is our non-conference schedule would have never came into play. If let, let let's say we won two more games and one of them was Virginia at home that you know we took them in overtime and had our chance to win, sure. um, you know we played some good games and, and that being said, I just think we get lost a little bit sometime in the eye test um, when you're in a Power Five and I, I've been on both sides of it. I've been at UNC Wilmington and where I felt like as a mid major uh, we should have more opportunities to play. Uh, I don't know the real answer to that, but. I will tell you this, if anybody else in the country played those three teams five times, probably the best somebody was going to do is one and four against those. And, um, you know, all schedules are not created equal. Um, and so, you know, obviously I understand that the, the conference that I am and we want to compete in it, but those three teams were just so good that it kind of, as I go back and say it, it counseled everybody else out in our league. It makes complete sense, and I know you're ready to move on. Real quick, I know you referenced off the top returning a lot of guys. Uh, Torrin Dorn, of course, is gone. Markel Johnson goes through the draft process. How do you feel about this team coming into this season? Because I, I know we kind of touched on it off the top, but it seems like there is reason for excitement. Um, there is a lot of personnel back. It's still obviously about gelling, getting everybody to play together, but it seems like there should be reason for uh, NC State fans to be excited. Well, I, I like I like my team, Aaron, because I'm too deep at every position, and the way we play, we press and we get up and down. We take a lot of shots, a lot of ball screens, more try to run more of a uh, pro style offense. But I like the team, uh, and more importantly, I like the attitude of the team. Um, I've had these guys here for a few weeks in summer school, and um, you know we don't talk about you know what happened last year. Um, nobody can change that. You know, the committee has a tough job, and that's going to be a year-to-year -year thing. Uh, all we can do is focus on what do we do moving forward, trying to get better in every situation. And one of the things that I've asked each guy is um, by the time the summer's over and we start school and we start official practice, I want everybody to be a better player than they are right now. And um, that takes a lot of uh, commitment on everybody's end. And, you know, to, to be honest with you, these guys have worked extremely hard so far, and uh, we'll continue to do that. Very good. Real quick, I, I would I do want to ask you, I don't know if you've commented about this publicly, Jalen LeCue. I mean, he was a, a five-star kid. Uh, we knew from the beginning he was a fifth-year guy, Was had the opportunity to test the NBA draft waters. Uh, just your thoughts on kind of him uh, and his experience kind of going forward. Obviously, he never ended up at NC State, but I'm sure you built a close relationship with him. Yeah, you know what? Um, Jalen is an unbelievable kid, and um, – you know, he comes from a really good family, and you know, you know, we were excited and wish we had the opportunity to coach him. That being said, uh, I'm excited for him. Um, you know, when, when he decided to go through the uh, NBA process, you know, what I told him is I'll support 
whatever happens or what decision you make, as long as you think that you get the feedback that you need. And to, to give those guys a lot of credit, uh, they kept me in the loop with everything and, uh, you know, the, the workouts that he had. And um, I'm okay with his decision as long as him and his family are okay with it. Um, you know, I'm not going to question um, whether they're, you know, he's ready or, or not. But I would say, you know, he's a talent, and a lot of times in the NBA, you know, they, they draft on potential where his potential is off the chart. Uh, maybe one of the most athletic young men that I've ever seen. Um, you know, he, he competes. Um, he'll get better in certain areas, and I hope somebody takes a, a chance on him and give him the opportunity to show how good he can be in the NBA. Very good. A couple quick questions. We'll wrap up. First of all, i got to ask, Gucci Wolfhead shoes. I need a little bit of an explanation on this. I, you know, I Googled Kevin Keats. I was looking for kind of some obscure things to talk to you about. That was the first one that popped up. Uh, and, yeah, I, ju- I just need some kind of explanation. I also need to know where I can get myself a pair, not because I'm on the Wolfpack bandwagon, but, I, you know, I just feel like I'd look good wearing them out on a Friday night or something like that. Let me tell you something, uh, Aaron. I'm a, I'm a shoe guy, man. Like, okay. You know, I, I'll, give, I'll give an example. I was at an event yesterday, and, um, our women's golf coach had on some Adidas that I didn't have, and I was pissed <laughs> about it. I was a little bothered by that because yeah, I love shoes. Uh, one of my assistants came to me and said that he found some um, some shoes, and he didn't think that he could get them. He could afford them because he thought they were head coaching shoes. And mm. he showed me the Gucci Wolf hands, and, and I said, um, golly, man, I don't know if I want to get those. Um, but I tell you, when I got them, I fell in love with them. Um, uh, more importantly, it was it was because of the our fan base. They love the, the the wolf, and and so do I. And I thought it was a great thing to do. And uh, I've only worn them one time, and it's funny because if you look on the internet, you think I have them on every day. I've only had them on one time. <laughs> and that's what I was gonna say. Will they make a return this season? I mean, I know it's early. You know, you're you're still figuring things out. You don't want to get too far ahead of yourself. One game at a time. Bill Belichick, all that stuff. But will they maybe make a return this season? You know, I don't know, man. I'm more concerned about my our shooting percentage over the shoe right now. So <laughs> okay. they may, but I'm telling you now, I, I ain't even focused on it. I'm trying to figure out, make sure that Braxton Beverly is, is healthy and make shots and uh, Markel Johnson can make the right pass. And so I don't know. And listen, you have to wait and see on that. I love the tease. I love the tease. And we'll get you out on this. The last question. Obviously, we've talked about next year, but just the big picture. Uh, we know NC State historically has had success, made Final Fours, all that stuff. You've been there two-plus years now, going into year three. As you look at the big picture of what you're trying to build at this thing, I mean, I mean, what what do you envision over the next couple years? It's a year-to-year sport. I know that. We talked about not having your full roster until uh, the, the first day of school in some cases. But how do you envision this thing two, three, four, five years down the road? I, I like where the program is going. Um, you know, obviously, um, everything for me is, is building my culture the way I want things to happen. And, you know, I'm looking for the commitment from guys both on and off the court to be able to play at a high level. Um, I do know the history of it. We and we have a tremendous fan base. Um, yep. They're very passionate. Uh, we have two great arenas to play in. We play in the PNC, which is a pro arena that holds up almost a little over 19,000. Then on campus, the legendary Reynolds Coliseum, which is also a, a great arena that we played in in the NIT. Uh, that being said, uh, I've talked to our fan base about being the best version of who we are and not trying to compare ourselves to anybody else. And 
Uh, we're going to take this thing one, one, one day at a time, and we're going to grow as a, a program both with our fans and also our players, and um, we're going to take this thing to new heights, and we're excited about it. I mean, I love everything that's going on with our program. we got to continue to build through the ups and downs, and um, that's how good programs, you know, take off. You know, uh, it's going to be some um, times where it's a, it's a little rocky road, but that's okay. we got to figure our way through it and, and keep striving to be the best we can be. Well, I'll tell you what, you're growing with the fan base, you're growing with the program, you're growing with your number one West Coast cheerleader. That's me. Uh, I'm glad we did this, Coach. It was a lot of fun. I genuinely appreciate the time. Uh, I am obviously very excited to see what you guys have in store for the 2019-2020 season. But, yeah, best of luck, and hopefully we can uh, connect again down the road. Hey, listen, and I, and I mean this uh... – I appreciate the support that you've given us from the West Coast. And I'm telling you, man, we know about you on this, on the East Coast. We know about you. So don't think you're, don't just think that you're a West Coast guy, man. You have grown and this is, uh, you do a great job. And I, I know our fan base respects that and, um, you know, they love it. So thanks for everything and keep doing what you're doing. All right. I want to give a big thank you to my new best friend, Kevin Keats, my buddy. I love him. Thank you to Coach Keats for joining me. If you followed me on Twitter, at Aaron underscore Torres, you know I've been a big Keats guy from the beginning. First of all, I thought he killed it at UNC Wilmington. For people who don't remember, he made the tournament his last two seasons there. Gets to NC State. His first year, they beat a bunch of really good teams. They beat Arizona when Arizona had DeAndre Ayton. They beat UNC. They beat Duke. Last year, took a little bit of a step back. I think they're going to be really good this year, and I think Keats is one of the rising stars in this business. Uh, very fortunate to to now have him as as you know part of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast family. So Keats will be a regular guest, I hope, on this show, and I do want to thank him for coming on. Okay, so as I do every episode, or not every episode, I do want to get to some of your questions, Aaron Torres Podcast questions at gmail.com. Um. I've gotten a couple football questions. So first of all, let's let, let's get into all of it. So first of all, a couple football questions are all kind of the same. Torres, you're going to start talking college football. I love college basketball, but it's it's almost football season. SEC media days are like two weeks away. Yes, I will talk more college football as we get closer. For people who are new to the show, I never stop talking college basketball. And the great thing about this sport is with the transfer market, with the recruiting market, with summer tours and all that stuff, the season never really ends. But I'm going to talk college football on this show because, let's be honest, college football is awesome. You guys love college football. So a couple of you have asked, when are we going to transition into football? I guarantee over the next couple of weeks, we're going to start talking football, and we probably won't st- stop until December, January when the season ends. But to be clear, if you listen for the basketball stuff, I'm never going to stop talking basketball. If there are basketball stories to discuss, if there are basketball guests to be had, I'll obviously start previewing the coming season when we get into September and October. Never stop talking basketball, but I will talk a little bit more football. Okay, I mentioned this off the top. A couple of you guys had some questions on my draft coverage, and I got a couple on Romeo Langford, a couple tweets. I did get one email from Clarence. And so I told Clarence I'd address this, and I'm, I'm a man of my word. Say what you want about Torres. He sticks to his word. Let's get into Clarence's question. Clarence says, while your podcast is usually insightful and accurate, thank you, Clarence. I feel like there's a butt coming. You have misrepresented facts in two recent podcasts. Specifically, you stated incorrectly in episodes 159 and 160 that Romeo Lankford was drafted with the 15th pick and therefore is not a lottery pick. Lankford was the 14th pick and is, in fact, a lottery pick. Okay, 
first of all, whiffed on that one. Um, don't know why I thought he was the 15th pick. He was the 14th pick. He's going to Celtics. Clarence keeps going. Also, while Langford did drop from a preseason projected top five pick to the 14th pick, he played through an injury to his shooting hand, torn ligament in his thumb. Romeo was given the option to shut down the season and have immediate surgery similar to Darius Garland. However, Langford chose to support his team and keep playing. I should add that Darius Garland's recovery time was projected at four to six weeks, while Langford's was six to eight weeks. Langford risked his draft stock to support his team. While his stock did fall largely due to poor shooting caused by an injury, he was nevertheless a lottery pick. Please do the right thing and acknowledge your error in your next podcast. Thank you, Clarence. All right, Clarence, you're not the only indif- – I don't know if you're an Indiana fan. I don't know, Clarence, he never reached out before, but I appreciate him being honest. I appreciate him holding my feet to the fire. So first of all, he's right. Romeo Langford was a lottery pick. And by the way, when I kind of talked about all the freshmen that dropped this year, Nasir Little to, I think, number 25 overall, Keldon Johnson, number 29, Bowl Bowl the second round, it probably is unfair to include Romeo Langford in that conversation but I would also kind of add that um, he did, in fact, fall. He was supposed to be a projected top five pick. He was a guy that everybody loved coming into the season, and he ended up going 14th overall to the Boston Celtics. By the way, I would add, that, that's not a terrible thing. Let's keep in mind, Giannis, who just won MVP, was the 15th overall pick. Kawhi Leonard, who was the finals MVP, was the 15th overall pick. So you can be really good from that position in the draft, And oh, by the way, I think Romeo Langford could be a steal in a year or two. I also do, so so like Clarence, you're right. So first of all, you're right, Clarence. Like Romeo Langford's not a bad basketball player. Romeo Langford could end up being, frankly, he could end up being the steal of the draft. I would push back on a few things though. One, he was disappointing. And you can blame it on injury. You can blame it on whatever. You can blame it on this. You can blame it on that. But the fact remains he did not live up to expectations. I know a lot of it was the injury. But at the same time, let's not forget, Darius Garland was injured, missed all of the season, and was the number four overall pick. Or number five overall pick. Excuse me, number five overall pick. So, like, if it's just about being injured, if NBA teams had no concerns about Romeo Langford because they felt like 100% of his struggles were over the injury, then he should have gone higher. But part of the struggles, I think, are all the things that we talked about during the college basketball season. At times, he looks like he's just coasting out there. I'm not saying he is. I'm just saying that he's kind of got that look on his face where you don't really know if he's locked in. You know, you watch college basketball. Zion's dunking and flexing and, oh, he's so mad. And R.G. Barrett, oh, he's so mad. And P.J. Uh, PJ Washington with the mean mug. And Romeo Langford just kind of floating out there. He goes two for 13 from the field and his expression never changes. Yes, the injury affected him, but 26% is 26% from three. And you're supposed to be, and he was one of the greatest scorers in the history of Indiana high school basketball. He's not an elite athlete. And I would add that, by the way, if he was that hurt, I think it's an incredible testament to him as a human being that he continued to play but sometimes you're doing your team a disservice if you're playing. And so I think, Clarence, I think you're 100% right. I think that it's totally fair to say that I have been too critical of Romeo Langford because he was still a lottery pick, which he was. And as I just stated, I think that he can be one of the steals of the draft. But I also don't think that we can blame everything 100% on that hand injury. And by the way, 
I had some people in the NBA kind of reach out to me saying, do we really think the hand was that injured? Or is he maybe over-exaggerating it a little bit because of the fact that, you know, his draft stock's slipping? I'm not saying that's true. I'm just saying that was, that was at least a conversation that people were having at a certain point. And so I think it's fair to say that he probably didn't fall as far as I represented. He certainly didn't fall as far as Nasir Little, as far as Kelton Johnson, as far as Bobo. So I apologize about that. Actually, I don't apologize. It's just I, I messed up. I screwed up. Whatever. And I think it's a testament to his toughness that if his hand really was hurt as bad as he was, that he played. But if it was only about the injury then I don't think that he falls. But I think people have real questions about his will, his want to, his mental toughness, his shooting abilities, his athleticism. I think there are real questions about Romeo Langford. I don't think you can argue that he did disappoint relative to expectations. So hopefully that clarifies it. Clarence, I think you're right. I do owe you an apology. Romeo Langford, if you're listening to this show, I owe you an apology as well, Romeo. So I apologize. But I would push back on some of that as well. I do have a quick question about Mick Cronin from UCLA. I mentioned on the last episode, I spent some time with Mick Cronin uh, a few weeks ago, and I think he's going to be better than people think. And somebody's saying, why do you think that? So uh, that question is from Mike, and Mike's question basically was exactly what I just said. You, sp- you, said, you said on the last episode you spent time with Cronin. Why, do you, why are you sold he's going to be better? I think the bottom line is this. This is what I would tell you. I don't have all the stats in front of me. I didn't do all my homework like I should have. The issue at UCLA has never been talent, okay? I think I looked it up, and of their six returning players, they have six returning players who have played major minutes, and eight guys, if you include Tiger Campbell and Sharif O'Neal, two guys who were injured last year. Tiger Campbell hurt his knee in the preseason. Sharif O'Neal, Shaq's son, as we all know, had a very serious heart problem that has appeared to be fixed. He should be good to play this season. If you look at their eight-guy rotation, their eight-man rotation, I think seven of them were top 100 players. The eighth guy was a kid named Chris Smith. Funny story about Chris Smith. I know the guys on the previous staff, and there was a time where there was a kid named Brian Bowen who wanted to be recruited by UCLA. First of all, I think UCLA thought there was some funny business they didn't want to get involved in, but UCLA liked this kid Chris Smith more as a long-term prospect than Brian Bowen. So you're talking about seven top 100 prospects plus a kid that that the coaching staff believed was going to be an NBA player when they recruited him. And so I bring that up because talent is not the issue at UCLA. Now, there's a lot of mismatched parts and the pieces don't fit perfectly together. And Tiger Campbell, you're asking him, he's the only real point guard on the the roster. You're asking him to come back from injury. But I I don't think talent's the issue with UCLA. I think toughness is the issue with UCLA. I think that there are a bunch of soft kids that have been pampered and they maybe read too many of those recruiting rankings and they didn't handle adversity well last year. They were the youngest team, one of the youngest teams in college basketball. The whole team except for one or two guys was freshmen or sophomores. And so I think what they need is toughness. And say what you want about Mick Cronin. And you guys know I've been critical of Mick Cronin. But the one thing you can never question about Mick Cronin's teams, they're tough. They'll play their you-know-what's up. And so I think as he gets there, as he establishes his culture, as he gets more comfortable as the head coach there, as he recruits his guys, there's going to be a level of toughness. And if he can bring what he did at Cincinnati and now recruit a higher caliber of athlete, I think he's going to be pretty good at UCLA. Now look, is he going to be John Wooden? No, of course not. Nobody's winning 10 titles in 12 years like John Wooden did. Um, Is he going to win national championships? I don't know. 
I think they'll consistently be better. I think they'll consistently be a team that's going to be in con- in contention for Pac-12 championships in the regular season, contention for two, three, four, five seeds, potentially to the second weekend, maybe break through to a Final Four here and there. Look, I don't think he's John Wooden. I don't think he's John Calipari. I don't think he's Tony Bennett. But I do think he is going to improve that roster as time goes on. So a little bit on Romeo Langford there, a little bit on McCronin. That is it. I am done. I am tired. Tired of talking to myself. I enjoyed talking to Kevin Keats. But I want to thank all you guys for listening to today's show. I want to thank Kevin Keats for joining today's show. As I've mentioned a few times, make sure you subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes. If you have an Android, use the Podcast Addict app. Podbean, TuneIn Radio. Make sure to rate and review the show. Five stars are encouraged. Follow me on Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. Send in your questions, including the ones that I just answered. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. That is all for today. Shout out to my boy, Torrin Craig. I will see you guys next week where I'll probably be back to talk a little bit more UConn basketball. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.